This episode is sponsored by RLJE Films. Unveiled through a made-for-TV documentary, five tales of found footage horror emerge to take viewers on a terrifying journey into the grim underbelly of the 1980s in VHS 85. Now available on DVD and Blu-ray. Get in, losers. This is the Lady Killers, a feminine rage podcast. I'm Jen. I'm Sammy. I'm Rocco. And I'm May. Our podcast is a tribute to the female-identifying killers in horror and more. Each episode will feature us, your Supreme Court of female murderers, discussing our favorite lady killers, from your Julias and Jennifers to your Carries and Christines. We'll tell her story, decide if it's good for her horror, and answer the most important question of all. Would we die for her? Join us on Thursdays as we pull on our sweaters, snatch our ice picks, sharpen our scissors, and honor the lady killers who live on the silver screen. No boys were harmed in the making of this podcast. Yet. (laughs) (laughs) Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of oh, All in the name of oh, All in the name of oh. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from the Consequence Podcast Network. My name is Rockin' Randall Colburn, and who is sitting across from me? This would be Michael Merrill Hoffman. Ah, that works. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, not too bad. That works since today we are here to dis- to discuss Castle Rock. Castle Hulu's Rock. Castle Rock. Season two. Season two. He- heavily anticipated. We've discussed it. Uh, a, a lot on the podcast uh, Today we are going to do a breakdown of the first three episodes And that will be probably the extent of our coverage We might revisit it later Depending, um, you know, on how the future episodes shake out And what we think about the season, where it goes But whereas last year we did sort of episode-to-episode coverage of the show This time around, I think this, is, I think this will suffice I think so, I mean, look 2018 was, it was a pretty busy year for Stephen King yeah. But it's not as crazy as it is this year. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been it's been a lot. So, but before we get into that, let's uh, let's do a little house cleaning or not house cleaning. What housekeeping. Is housekeeping. That's the word I'm yeah. looking for. Um, yeah. So, Who's first a housekeeper off, in in King's Dominion. Uh, Carrie's mom. No, she worked at the the linens. But I guess the woman who licks the cum off the stuff in Nightmares and Dreamscapes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll go. With, I don't know that name, but. Uh, and then also, I guess like the uh, in the institute, there's a housekeeper character oh. who's very important. Oh. Uh, no spoilers, though. Okay, no spoilers then. But uh, yeah, so a little housekeeping. First off, if you are following us on our socials, and if you aren't, you should. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Fresh content across all mediums. And uh, but one thing that is universal across all mediums is our 31 days of horror. Uh, I guess I could call it a challenge if you want to challenge yourself. It's a challenge. I don't know if any of you have been watching watching each movie every night. If you have, uh, thank you. I don't so, think we've been watching it. Each no, movie. Each no, night. no, no. I. Uh, 
I I've I've been I've been I, I've watched like a handful of horror movies, but not as much as I probably should. I was I've, I've been watching uh, on Becoming a God in Central Florida. I've been, I've been wanting to watch that yeah, show because I love good. Kirsten Dunst. I, I I struggled a little bit at first, but uh, man, it's good. It's about I guess it is about it is a bit of a horror show as it is about pyramid schemes. Mm. Uh, well, a pyramid scheme. The horrors of America. Uh, thing. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, it's it's timely. It's interesting. I like it a lot. That's my recommendation for Showtime's on Becoming Showtime. a God. They are sponsors to this episode. Just yeah. kidding. Yeah. Um, no. So, uh, thirty-one days of horror. We've basically on our socials. We've been posting different movies every day that we would recommend you watch. Ones that we all like, and we've each been writing little blurbs about what we think makes that movie special. And today, well, what's the day? This is going up tomorrow. Tomorrow, we've got a good one. Uh, a special anthology movie. Ooh. So we're talking about an anthology series. I don't think we need to not say it because it's coming out tomorrow. Yeah. The episode is coming out tomorrow, so it'll be today it'll when be they today listen to It'll be today when this. you're actually listening. <laughs> Spoiler alert, because you could actually just look at the image that we shared at the beginning of the month. It's Tales from the Hood, and I yeah. love Tales from the Hood. Tales from the Hood is so, so good. I watched that uh, earlier this month, I believe, and or no, it was actually September, and I remember being like, we got to put this on our list. This, yeah. is, this is just a great movie. Is it playing at the Massacre coming up? No, Is that I where wish. it's playing? I, I, I thought it played on the big screen somewhere recently. It played, I believe, I think it was last year that it played. Oh, yeah. okay. Love it. Spooky movie, uh, great use of violins in the score. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so follow along with that. We still got another week of horror movies we do. Uh, that we would love to hear from you guys about if you are enjoying them. Also, so coming up, just uh, the next few episodes to give you a sense of what to expect. We are going to switch things up a bit. We usually talk about books before we talk about movies or uh, the adaptations um, when we are doing a book episode. But we are going to switch it up a little bit this time because it turns out that Mike Flanagan's Doctor Sleep is getting released a little earlier than initially thought. It's supposed to come out November 8th. Yeah. yeah. And now it's getting some special Halloween screenings. I think Warner Brothers was like, well, this is one of the more anticipated horror movies of the year. Yeah. It's spooky season. And we're releasing this a week after Halloween. Yeah. Maybe we should do some sort of special engagement. And they I did. Th- I think they've got a lot of faith in this project I think they do because they bumped up the release date and now they're doing this and usually you just see them like put you know like like pushing things out of the way down the line (laughs) so it actually seems like they have a lot of faith in it and we're excited for it so we're hoping that we're hoping that it's a positive response that we have because today's episode will not be horribly positive but I think we have nuanced thoughts we do I have nuanced thoughts so this isn't just a hate fest so cut us some slack guys we're here with the with the the critical the thoughtful commentary we're not just haters we're not the hateful two we're not the hateful two I swear we aren't we love Stephen King and you'll hear that in our Wastelands episode which just dropped so if Mm -hmm. you haven't listened to that go back and listen that was last week and um yeah so Wait, oh wait. I was yeah, going to say so, we're doing the we're doing the movie next week because yeah. it comes out. So that'll be like our Halloween episode. We'll be talking about Doctor Sleep because we are going to see it in that early screening. And then the following week, uh we'll when the, the book. when the movie goes wide, I guess. I don't know how they're doing the Halloween screenings. We're going to discuss the book. And so so yeah, and at, like we are switching up the chronological order. We usually do them chronologically, but we figured we'd try something new. So since the movie's coming out, why not do the book and yeah. switch things up a little bit? And I will say it's interesting because I'm seeing like, you know, Latter-day King stuff, sort of the seeds of what I've been seeing in the dark half and in the Tommy knockers and even in different, uh, different four past midnight, not different mm-hmm. seasons. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm seeing 
elaborated versions of in Dr. Sleep, especially the talk about sobriety and the struggle yeah. with addiction. Because yeah. that stuff is so prevalent, like where we are right now in King's Canyon, because mm-hmm. he was getting sober. And then in Dr. Sleep, you see this sort of like living with sobriety. It's a nice link. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's it, it's interesting to see that kind of connection. It's going to be interesting actually talking about his modern works mm-hmm. for the first time on this podcast, because we've never really been able to do that other yeah. than when we you know do these little capsule reviews for, say, like The Outsider or Institute. 20s Button Box Institute. We talked about Institute a few weeks ago. You can go back and check that out you too. Can. So next week is the movie of Dr. Sleep. The following week, it'll be the book. And uh, we'll keep you posted on what's what to expect after that. And we're trying to secure an interview with Mike Flanagan. You talked to him a couple years ago for he Gerald's Game. great. I love yeah. talking to him. Yeah, and we are most likely going to be talking to the Newton brothers who did the score for nice. Dr. Sleep. Uh, since I know all of you are really excited to talking to composers, uh, hearing from composers on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, but like, I feel like the Shining score is so iconic. It's got to be interesting to it hear. It is very what, interesting. How, they, how you follow that. Yeah, so spoiler alert, I have heard the score. Yeah. And let's just say, God, they have uh, not forgotten the face of their father to uh, borrow from uh, Critic King. That's who's, good. Who just recently loved uh, the new Child's Play remake. Uh, he also, so. actually, you know what? He also loved Dr. Sleep. I mean, of course he loves everything. <laughs> he loves everything. But I'm going to just read his uh, tweet here just to get everyone excited to about... To whet our appetite for our return to the Overlook Hotel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is what's going to happen. Absolutely. So yeah. he tweeted out... Yesterday, I believe, Dr. Sleep, oh, so that would have been Wednesday. Dr. Sleep, Mike Flanagan is a talented director, but he's also an excellent storyteller. The movie is a good thing. You'll like this if you like The Shining, but you'll also like it if you like Shawshank. It's immersive. I find this like a weirdly loaded tweet, not in a bad way, but there's a lot going on here. Like when he says he's a good director, but he's also a good storyteller. The movie is a good thing. Like it's just weird. Well, the good thing makes me think that there's some sort of damage control being done with the legacy of The Shining. Mm, Yeah. For his sake. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because obviously he doesn't like Kubrick's version. Yeah. And this is paying in debt. You know, this is indebted to that movie, as we've seen in the promotional materials. And I mean, you can't listen to even a teaser trailer or a TV trailer without hearing the iconic theme from Wendy Carlos. So I feel like King is finally coming to peace with things. And I think he's probably going to credit Mike Flanagan for that. Yeah. And I know? think uh, when he says he's an excellent storyteller, it just strikes me that that I feel like maybe Flanagan and we know he is he's he's bridging this gap between the book and the film yeah which is yeah. really interesting because when i spoke to him on this podcast he was very much like fidelity is everything like mm-hmm. you really need to trust the word on the page so in this case it sounds like he's he's trusting it but i think he also is forced to reckon with yeah. the film as well and he's and i think it's in the bridging of those gaps is when what king says when he's talking about him being a good storyteller i think he's just going to really match the aesthetics of the original kubrick film because Bold i mean move. based on the score i mean there are literal i mean i listen to the shining score all the time i yeah. really i just not the score but the scrapbook of scores because it's it's you know it's a variety of music that kubrick uh you know used and elaborated on and all the touchstones of the original Shining are in this score. Mm-hmm. You know, even like the little bells, like the the violin that plays, you know, when there are, you know, revelations being made in the original film. And you'll just notice a lot of sound cues in there. So just knowing that it's that embedded, I mean, and this is like a 40 track score. Yeah. So 
it is all over this thing. So I just imagine that he really is trying to kind of match the tone and aesthetic of that original film. I mean, he said that there are, there are not going to be any jump scares, which is just an absolute, like that makes me so <laughs> What hooded. a joy. Total joy. Because that, I mean, honestly, that was my least favorite part about It Chapter 2 or Pet Cemetery yeah. or any of the yeah. you know, recent ones that we've had. I'm just like, unless, I don't know, unless it's a jump scare factory and that's all it really is trying mm-hmm. to be, because I will say like, Annabelle Comes Home is not, like, a good movie, but when you just look at it as sort of this, like, endlessly, like, uh, recycling jack-in-the-box, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, I still don't love it, but at the same time, like, I appreciate that it's not really trying to be anything more. And whereas movies that are really trying to scare you on multiple levels, I just think that jump scares cheap in that often. I agree yeah. 100% yeah. yeah that's just I mean maybe one or two here and there but and also I think jump scares really need if you're going to do one it needs to be um, like it needs to be really well calibrated mm-hmm. like isn't the the best jump scare people say is like Exorcist 3 you know yeah and because that, it's so I mean they, they really earn it yeah you know they build up that tension they yeah. build up that tension to the point where you are just you're hoping for it right and then when it actually does happen you're so fucking taken off guard that it really Right, you know, hits like you, you gotta earn these, you know, and that's what I mean. It's even Kubrick did jump scares. I mean, looking yeah. back at Shining, I mean, when yeah. Jack comes around the corner, that's a jump scare, right? You know, but I mean, there's they're well placed, they're mm-hmm. rare, and they're set up exceedingly yeah. well, and that's I think what is needed. And so, I guess when I think of you know, you just you just look at so much studio horror and the, the jump scare just exists. That's why the, the noises get louder. Yeah. Like, that's why the the stings get louder and shriekier because they know the jump scare wouldn't work without it. I, I think a lot of it's emblematic of just how we are as a culture these days mm-hmm. where, you know, and I know I'm not going to sound like, you know, old man that yells at a cloud. Oh, we're but very old man yells at cloud today, attitude-wise. We, we definitely are. <laughs> uh, but I do think a lot of it just happens to be, like, the same thing with, like, where punk rock eventually goes on a long enough timeline. It's just like, all right, let's just go crank it out louder let's yep. just turn out the distortion yep. and let's just hit the same chords harder yeah and in horror when you do that it just it becomes intoxicating yeah. and 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 it's not it's not fun anymore and not just in becomes a good berating. way like intoxicating can be good it can be good but not but, in that sense. Yeah, yeah yeah like it becomes like poisoned yeah and when it when that happens in horror it just it becomes like it's just exhausting i mean like i, I think of like the curse of the lorna which came out earlier this year and I, I literally needed like Advil after yeah. that movie. Yeah. And I think you said the same thing. For that like was me Lights with Lights Out. Out. Yeah. <laughs> I hated Lights yeah. Out. And yeah, because that to me was just, I felt like I had, I had literally had a headache coming out of that movie because yeah. it was like, stop screaming in my ear is enough. like what that movie is. And that's just not enough. what horror is to me. Well, hey, here's just one thing that doesn't have a jump scare. Um, or maybe not. It has a few, but not too many. <laughs> Castle, Castle Rock, Rock season There's two. Nice segue there. Okay. Trying, to, trying to keep it going. We're searchers, you and me. But you deserve a chance to make a place in the world. See, I'm a searcher who just wants to settle. Wants it bad. Just can't seem to find that place that'll live up to you, my perfection. You want to tell me what you're doing in this place? Well, that's a fine thing to say to a customer. Customer who has brought the host of problems to my town, which already has enough problems. You don't know a cock-a-duty thing about us. This town is not a good place. 
We're running from something, aren't we? I will always do anything to keep you safe. So, yeah, let's talk about Castle Rock. I, we're not going to do any sections with this. No. I think we're just going to kind of have a free-flowing conversation. And I think it's best maybe to begin, and we've discussed this in the pod, but it might be good a good refresher. When you first heard about the plot of this season, and I'll run it down right now. Basically, what we learned when the trade started reporting on it was that Castle Rock Season 2 was going to fold in Misery's Annie Wilkes, who is going to be played by Lizzie Kaplan, who's a lot younger uh, than Kathy Bates. And she was also going to have a daughter uh, who was 16 years old. That's that's one storyline. And then we are also going to get the Merrill clan. Pot Merrill, who is Great. featured in the Sundog, and, uh, and mentioned in other stories. And then Ace Merrill from Stand By Me, and uh, Needful Things, things. Yeah. another you know presence who's felt throughout any Castle Rock story. Also, we get Jerusalem's Lot, which was hinted at in the first season. Mm-hmm. We didn't know the nature of what Jerusalem's Lot would be, except for the fact that there were Somali refugees who were building businesses there. And like, and the way that I read that was like, oh, the town was decimated and immigrants are sort of rebuilding exactly. the town. Exactly. That's how I kind of felt. Obviously, we'll get to it, but that yeah. doesn't seem to be the case. No. So, um... So basically, we heard that it was going to encompass all of those different storylines. And we also knew that Tim Robbins from Shawshank Redemption was going to uh, return to the King world Which as Pot Which is like a spiritual nod to like Bill Skarsgård being in it and Sissy Spacek yep. being in it in the yep. first season. Yeah. So, so it's like nice. it's stunt you know. casting in a in a in a way that works. Yeah. You know? And so so when you first read about that, what was your initial reaction? Now, it should be noted that both Randall and I have to cover news, entertainment news. <laughs> for our respective you know publications and i think the first thing i was so taken back that i didn't even i usually jump right at the story yeah and the first thing i did was text mm-hmm. <laughs> i was just like can you fucking believe this yeah because it just seems so unnecessary i mean like even when you look at it from a text wise let's just say that that king you know, originally had this destined to be where Annie Wilkes was going to go. <laughs> it is so insane to think that this character that has nothing to do with Castle Rock would just somehow land in Castle Rock. Yeah. It's too perfunctory. It's too like Super Mario All-Stars. Yep. Like it, it's just, it's a little too greatest hits for me. Yeah. And it's also like really, you know, it made me curious because the first thing I thought of was, oh, well, maybe they're going to do what we thought they were going to do in the first season and jump around in time. Yeah. Maybe they'll go back to the 70s. Or like, you know, if this is going to be young Annie Wilkes, then maybe they're, it's a prequel. Because by all you know considerations of what the first season set out to do, and this is something I have in my review on Consequence of Sound, it worked within the confines of the Stephen King's, you know, Stephen King's established universe. Yep. Like Alan Pangborn was older because this takes place in modern times. Yeah. So everything that, you know, happened in all of King's books still existed. That's yep. not the case with, yeah. with Annie Wilkes. Let's hold now. off on that though, yeah, because yeah. that is a huge discussion point. Yeah, yeah. And I think, but I want to, I do want to say, I think this is a good time to bring it up. You know, I was, I was looking at a lot of comments from our, our listeners. Uh, thank you for those, by the way. We love hearing them, even when you disagree with us. Absolutely. And a lot of people were like, man, I hated the first season. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, you guys love the first season. Yeah. So maybe I'll like the second season since Mike didn't like the second season. And so, <laughs> uh, and that might be true. And yeah. I wouldn't begrudge you that. But I think what, what I always try to tell people is, I, I think if you listen to our episodes, I so we all kind of soured on the first season by the end of it. Yeah. But story-wise, mm-hmm. I think... 
I always respected the show and I still do, especially in the early going for, for doing something that I found truly unique, which was taking King IP telling original stories within it Mm -hmm. while also embodying a similar tone, Mm -hmm. um, uh, sort of similar horror nods and uh, characterizations. It's like what I said in the, it's like you hook them with familiarity and you win them over with originality. Yeah. And, and that that's was, a great premise. And like, I would say that their storytelling got way too convoluted yeah. and, um, and the, too many dots weren't connecting. There was, they were grass. Like, I, I, I still forget that there was like those, those like, like Rory Culkin's character in the first, uh, Castle Rock season. Like, w- like what? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when you think about those characters and it's like, you could have done all of this without them yeah. and you could have found other ways. Like there was too much going well, on. Ultimately what happened in that first season that worried me about coming into this second season is that they tried to do what Stephen King does great, which yeah. is tell short stories within the larger narrative. Yes. Which is something that he does in every one of his stories. Yes. It's his, it's his hallmark. It's, it's his especially strength. Especially in Castle Rock stories. And especially in the Castle Rock yeah. stories where you can hear about the, the little things that happened either in the past or in the present or whatever. Yeah. And they, they, they have a hard time with contending with that. They, mm-hmm. they, you know, in the first season, they have some real, you know, winners. I mean, I, I would argue that their short story, their bottle episode, the queen yeah. is arguably the it's best awesome. part of yeah. that whole entire run. But does it really fit in with that? No. I mean, Ruth, who is Sissy Spacek, her narrative fizzles out by the end and it yep. doesn't really do anything and yep. it doesn't resolve with the larger narrative. And, so going into the second season and finding out that they're going to be doing, <laughs> you know, so much. Yeah. There was a fear of mine going like, oh, God, they might have bite, bit off way more than they can chew. While also maybe, and I and again, we haven't talked to, you know, Sam Shaw and Dustin Thomason since last year. And I don't know what happened behind the scenes. But <laughs> the idea of Annie Wilkes being put in this and based on how the story plays out, it felt as if Hulu saw the first season, saw that they were like, well, look, it made a mark. You got the Stephen King IP. You need to lean a little bit too, too much into yeah. it. I haven't read Sundog. Nobody knows who Alan Pangborn is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who's this Pop Merrill? Oh, yeah. the Sundog? What's that? It sounds like a Soundgarden song. You need song. someone people know. Yeah, and, and so for me, that's what I. That's the first initial thought that I, I thought of when I first saw, saw the headline and saw that Misery was going to be it. And then the two big words that everyone called it in the first season came up to mind, fan fiction. Yeah, yeah, and that's... Whereas the first season, in my opinion, is not fan fiction. I I, I don't think it is. No, yeah, I thought no. it was an original story uh, within the world, which is an in, which to me was such an intriguing approach to IP. Because yeah, we, we have to operate in IP now. You we know? do. It's just how yeah. it works. Like Fargo is is the one I always go to is a perfect example of how you can do this right. Totally. You know, and for me, uh, I think my first my first feeling was excitement. I think not not like not because. It was just my, I guess, like my gut reaction was Ace Merrill. Yes. Pop Merrill. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Like, I love those characters. Like, that's enough for me. Yeah. Like, I love those characters, and I feel like there is more to be there, especially if you said it, um, you know, before the events of the Sundog and Needful Things, Mm -hmm. uh, which, if you want to, you know... There, there's things that here. there's things that happen in those books. No spoilers that that you know it would make it really difficult to keep telling the story afterwards. But I'll just say that like if if you said it before, then I, I would love to see sort of a standalone horror story that interweaves their arcs, you know, and even Jerusalem's lot, like, like what does it look like post vampire? Yeah. Like I'm just I'm thinking in like I think this is what's so funny is 
there's almost this expectation, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, and I'll just bring this up briefly, that we're supposed to just be totally cool with season two completely disregarding King history and, and lore. And that's my biggest gripe. Yeah, and I the thing is, like, I'm trying to be cool about that, but I'm not. Like, no. I, I mean, I understand that there are more worlds than these and that the, the King world embodies many planes and universes, but... And this is, we'll save that conversation because I have so many thoughts. So, but I'll say that my initial reaction was excitement because I thought about like, wow, that's really exciting. But my thing was, I started just like, my brain started breaking down because I'm like, wait a minute, Annie Wilkes, okay, Lizzie Kaplan, (laughs) wait, so that means it's a younger Annie Wilkes, so it's like a prequel. Oh, okay. But wait, then Ace Merrill wouldn't be like, because they had initially cast Garrett Hedlund, who's like 40 or 35 or something. So I'm just like, okay. And then Pop Merrill's. You know, Tim the same Robbins, age, yeah, the so, same yeah. age he is in the Sundog and everything. And I'm just like sitting here going, this this timeline, like yeah. these don't match up at all, and and I just don't get it. And then I find out that Annie has a 16 year old daughter, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so they're really playing fast and loose with this, you know. Whereas, yeah. you know, with Alan Pangborn, I don't feel like it was we we it wasn't slavishly it was devoted. Natural. Yeah, we didn't we didn't hear about like all of his past exploits that we read about in the books. But although it was hinted. It was hinted. It was but, totally hinted. But this yeah. felt like a natural, like I could buy that this is Alan Pangborn yeah. like at this time. What this, I guess like the more I thought and the more I, because you know, I would write up other casting notices or we discussed it on the pod. It just kind of became abundantly clear that this was going to operate outside of the Stephen King universe or, well, I'm sorry, within the Stephen King universe, but outside of his narrative. Yeah. And that to me is where I think this gets a little bit weird. Yeah. And... I think the phrase fan fiction came to mind because it just sounded to me like I didn't find a good reason for you to de-age Annie and specifically use her for this story. Like, if it's about her coming in between what they called the warring clans or whatever, like the Somali community, the Merrill community, Castle Rock versus Jerusalem's lot, throwing Annie in there, and it's like you said. It's like an executive said, you got to get a bigger name in there. But the thing is, the whole season is really built around her. I know. And so it it really, I guess, so like my excitement initially of just being like, wow, I know those names, and I am excited to see what other stories could be told, just kind of turned into, but if they're decrying, like the whole thing is like, this feels like a house of cards to me. Like once you start pulling away certain aspects of a, of a character. Yeah. So like if this is Annie, like we know a lot about her past in the book. We know that she's basically, a, she is, well, she's not basically, she is a serial killer. She is. And, and not, she goes from clinic to clinic. Yeah. And she's, house. she's a quote unquote angel of mercy in that she kills sick people, but then she also kills babies and stuff like that. And also killed her family or members of her family and her neighbors. Like there's a lot going on there. She is a sadistic killer. Mm-hmm. And, and then now she has a 16 year old daughter and I'm like, that does not track. No. And also the idea that she would just be kind of running around the country does not track. And I, I guess for me, I, I started to just think more and I was like, we're taking too many pieces of Annie's history away. And also the whole question of who is Paul Sheldon in this world? I know. You know? And, and, that, and then they keep, they keep kind of teasing that in this too. Which is weird. Which makes no fucking sense. I know. And it becomes at that point just almost like pandering. Right. Where you're like, oh, there's the wheelchair. You yeah. know how that's going to factor. And there's this. When it- though? Did it happen already? Did it, is it going to happen? Because I mean, if we're going by the narrative... And and that opens up a bunch of questions because it's like, 
Okay, so since we're kicking all narrative all together now, is this after Misery? Did she already do Paul Sheldon and she survived in that storyline? Right, I right. mean, it, it just it seems so unnecessary. Right. So like, bef- I think now is a good time to talk about the the use of the IP yeah. here, and then we can talk about the specifics of the story because I want to talk about Annie and and. Th- the Sheldon connection as it stands in these three. We're here talking about the three episodes, first three episodes that have been released, by the way. Yeah. Uh, they're, we're not they're, gonna... they're called Let the River Run, New Jerusalem, and Ties That Bind. Yeah. So spoilers for those episodes. We've seen uh, the first five. We have. Have you watched all five? I've I've watched the, the first. F- I have actually, though I need to rewatch five because it was very late. Yeah. I was actually a little sleepy during five as well, yeah. but we're talking about the first three. And so I feel like that's out of a 10 episode season. Um, I think we know where, I mean, like we have an idea we have an of where idea. it's going. But to be fair, based on that first season, who yeah, the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows? Because so, I thought I thought I had things figured out by episode nine and then all of a sudden 10 just went. Ugh. Yeah. And okay. so... I guess okay. So here's the deal. Uh, to elaborate on what I was saying, we we have characters who exist within the King universe in towns that exist within the King universe. But let's and this man. So I did an Easter egg post for AV Club, and yeah. I'm going to be updating it throughout the season. Trying to explain this shit is really confusing. It's very confusing. Which is like why I'm just I find it very bizarre uh, that people seem to be enjoying it because when, and that's not to say you, you shouldn't, I, I say love what you love. But for me, it's like, it's so weird and convoluted. And the idea that we're supposed to just so readily accept that these are characters we know who are also not those characters is so strange to me. And it goes into kind of what we always make fun of with like the dark tower Easter eggs yeah. where before in the first season, there were these like kind of lived in references that mm-hmm. made sense. You know, like when you see the headlines that were all over the, um, the warden's desk in the yeah. first season um, that had to do with all the strange doings that were going on in Castle Rock and knowing that Pangborn was involved. And we know that, that mm-hmm. we know that Pangborn because we've read those books, right. you know, it wasn't, it was tangential to the story, but it was still, it was, it was a good Easter egg in the sense that we know that they were embedded in the history of the show and they informed the town. It made sense. We could, we could, if you wanted to know the history and you wanted to go even deeper, you could read the books. Yeah. You don't have that in this season because now it's all like this sort of like, like, like I said before, it's a very pandering Easter egg now where it's just like they're using it for the sake of using it. Like we had this discussion on text the other night, just like even the number 19 feels like it means no value yep. anymore because it just seems so like, well, people know 19. So yeah. let's just go throw that out there yeah. at this point. And even like the little, na- they're like little like cheeky nods, like, you know, the, the, the kids that, you know, that she goes out and plays yeah, with. They're like all one of them's names like Chance as like Chance, Chance and, then, and then Vera uh, instead Timothy of Timothy and Vera. So yeah, it's Vern, Teddy and then Gordy Lachance. So it's yeah. just like these little things that you're like, all right, so we have these established stories, so we're just going to take them and then recalibrate them and then subvert them. And like, that's not interesting to me anymore. They have, like, so, like, here's just an example. In episode yeah. three, Chance shows up and says, want to go find a body. Exactly. They yeah. go look for one, but here's the thing. That body has no bearing on the story. Mm-hmm. It was just an excuse to do a scene with the kids. Yep. And be like, hey, you remember Stand By Me? It's not like they're using the fabric of like what Stand By Me was really about to 
like deepen something or add context to something like when you bring pangborn in, you bring in the weight of of somebody who's seen all of castle rock you don't you're not replicating something that was in a book and like you're being like hey remember this it's yeah. not like pangborn had a scene where he met a shopkeeper and was like oh you reminded me of someone you know and <laughs> then you it's, imagine if that i know was but case? that's that's what this season feels it like. does and, and that so, wasn't the case in the first season no. at all and so uh so i think like a good i think a good way to look at this is is I look at Annie. Let's talk about Annie for a moment because we meet Annie in the first episode and she is with, she's in a hospital. She's stealing meds. And, and Lizzie Kaplan is doing her very best to uh, basically do kind of an off-Broadway version of Kathy Bates's role. In the, <laughs> I, in the I don't film. think I, I don't think I don't dislike it as much as you do. I, just, I think she's, I think so she's, obvious. I think she's compelling, yeah. but it is like broad, Yeah, you know? So, but we see her uh, with her daughter and we see them growing up and driving around and they're singing Carly Simon, yeah. uh, a song which I think was chosen simply because it has the words New Jerusalem in it. Yeah. And they're trying to find their laughing place, which mm-hmm. is their New Jerusalem, which is like the like the your heaven. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And well, little did he know that there's a town called uh, Jerusalem's Lot that we're going to be talking about. It's wild. And so uh, so they're going through town. And then when they're driving through Castle Rock, they get into a car accident and they end up having to stay in the town and they end up staying in. Uh, cabins that are owned by the Merrill family. Yeah. So, but I guess let's talk about this version of Annie. We, we, she, she's probably, I mean, I think they're trying to sell her as being like 40 or so, but I don't buy that. I think it's got to be mid 30s, maybe. Lizzie, Lizzie resonates as early to mid 30s. Yeah. Having a 16 year old daughter is wild. Um, I, it's hard for me to buy her as a mom. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I, I think she's a great actress, but in this instance, she just feels really miscast to me. Yeah. Um, and so, and so and it's again, it's just it's so much that's going on. Yeah. That doesn't need to be But we do find out way, she you know. she looks herself up online and it's like she's wanted by the FBI for murder. We yeah. know that. And so it, she has it, an established, you know, past yeah. already. Which yeah. she should, considering based I know. on the lore. And know. so we see um and it was a younger version of her because yeah. the the photo of her is like a much younger version. And the piece opens uh, the whole series opens with her bloody running through the woods holding a box. And mm-hmm. I like really zoomed in and I think I, I, I see what it says. It, I think it says the ravening angel is what's written on the side of the. It was, yeah, it was either that or the, the something like the runaway angel or something. The runaway angel yeah, it might be. Yeah. I It looked Which like I thought ravening. maybe could have been a book that, you know, or something. Yeah. But. So it's me as that struck me as a as a misery, like a misery type reference. I'm like, well, that could maybe be the name of a romance novel, especially exactly, runaway yeah. angel. I, yeah. I think it said ravening. I, I like really tried to look at it. And that that is a phrase that has like spiritual tones, I guess. But um, so but we see her kind of take this box with her down to the water and the box like moves at the end. So there's something living inside the box, which I don't know what. But because we don't see that in the first three episodes. Baby Cujo. Baby Cujo. Maybe. I would love that. <laughs> just bring him in. Why not? And uh, what if well she just pulls point. a little baby saver? In our- God, I'm, now I'm laughing. So uh, but what that hints towards. <laughs> To me, that it seems like that's paper. That's a file box that would be in there. Mm-hmm. And then 
we get a few other nods once she she gets a, a part time job being a nurse in I believe it's Salem's Lot, right? Like that's where it, she's at, or is a, it Castle it's a rural Rock? hospital outside of Salem? Okay, Lot. gotcha. Yeah, and so but when she's there, we get a few other misery nods or things that would ostensibly point towards misery. We get, get a wheelchair. wheelchair rolling in, and then she sees this spirit of a man who is dressed like in a suit, which could stuff. conceivably be her father. It could be, yeah, and uh, because her mother is cast in this in this show. So they're, yeah. they are going to be doing, you know, flashbacks of, you know, some yeah. variety there. Yeah. And so, um, but the thing is when that figure shows up, if you listen to the sound design, it's tick, it's click clack yeah. typewriter keys. And you hear in all the voices that swirl around her, you hear the phrase, did you like it? Which makes me think yeah. that it's like, a, it reminds me of a Paul Sheldon type situation. Yes. But the man is much older, I think, or he reads as older, the the ghost that she sees, than Paul Sheldon would have been. So, but the thing is, did she do this thing with, because clearly Joy doesn't know about it and Joy is 16. No. Uh, the vibe I get is that it happened before Joy was born. And we also see in the beginning that Joy has been with her for a while mm-hmm. because, you know, they're st- singing the same song. She's yep. younger and yep. then she's older and then now she's a teen and she just wants to hang out with friends. And so you assume that like, all right, so she's been at every stop that she's been. She's been oblivious to the fact that her mother is like stealing meds and also killing all these folks. Well, I don't know if there are all these folks like the the FBI thing just says it like just says murder. So it might just be this one murder, maybe Mm. that of this thing that because she's haunted by something. Why wouldn't she be haunted by all the other people she killed? Unless it's like it's less it's assuming that she killed Paul Sheldon. She survived, or like there's a, there's a there's a turn here where Paul Sheldon died and she lived, right? And that's I think what that's at least where I'm at mm-hmm. is what I'm assuming happened, I guess. And but you know what I the, what this does to me is it creates this cognitive dissonance. It's like I feel like I've I feel like I've traveled through time or something, yeah. And I'm having two different memories about the same thing. Exactly. You know, it's like something happened two different ways and I've got both memories in my head and it's driving me crazy. It, it, that's, and that's, and that's it, very dark tower. Like it's like Jake when he has memories of his death, but then he's alive. Well, Hey, you maybe know? it was supposed to be a dark tower 40 experience that they were planning to do for well, the second season. Well, let me just say this. <laughs> I, I think that that might be an interesting thing to happen for a, for a character. I don't want to feel that way as a viewer. I am so I'm like almost and so I guess this is what I get to is is they're they're toying and like hinting that a thing that we know about from the books might have happened in the world of this. I'm literally holding my head right now because I'm like simple as that. This is trying to suppose that she killed Paul Sheldon and lived when she was like 22 years old, which. yeah, Yeah. And and even then it's just like. It's just really frustrating because when you this is clearly still of the world from the first season. They make references to the 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 first season in I believe the second or you know second or third episode, the third episode I believe. A character when, from the first she season says, shows up in the fourth episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, but in the third episode, they mentioned that the warden's body died and they didn't find the head and yeah. everything. So this still exists in the first season. In mm-hmm. that first season, they mention how you know there was the body that was that was found in the sixties and stuff like that or the fifties, and yeah. they mentioned the fact that Cujo was. You know, there was the dog. You see the newspaper clippings of needful things. So all these like elaborated works that happened, you know, did happen in the right times that they're supposed to. So all of a sudden they're just going to say, they're just going to kick that idea, this pre-established history, and then just drag in another character and then fudge that history. I mean, 
to their credit, if they're going to choose any character to do that to, it makes sense for Annie Wilkes because yeah. she has nothing really tied to you know to to the overall you know Castle Rock arc. Right. Even so, it's really fucking maddening and confusing <laughs> for those that are going to be coming into the show that a either know of the, the you know the story or b are really fucking know the story. So yeah. you're, it's kind of a lose lose situation altogether. Well, that's how I feel. Is like is like if you're coming in fresh and you don't know misery, then maybe it works. But then why all these references to misery? Yeah, I mean, you know? I hope by episode seven, you know, they get a really hunky new doctor uh, that comes into Jerusalem's lot named Louis Creed. I know, you know right? And his whole family moves into town. Also, well, there are pet cemetery nods there in are. this oh, as well. Absolutely. So yeah. it's like. I guess my thing is, and then you look at Ace, and I I look at this version of Ace, and what I see is, you know, a guy with an attitude, kind of a shit kicker. Yeah, that could be Ace. Yeah. But I see nothing else that resonates with the Ace that I've read in the books. Yeah. Uh, Pop Merrill makes more sense. Um, yeah, he I strikes think Pop Merrill's me, pretty fair. But they make him much more sympathetic here oh, than they do in the Sundog. Yeah. And the Sundog, like, he's not a total villain. Like, they, he's humanized really well in that book. But he's also, he's really selfish and really shitty and mm-hmm. really, um, and really kind of, what's what I'm looking for, like, uh, underhanded in in uh the sun dog whereas here he's so framed through the fact that he's like terminally ill and he's got these kids that he really cares about you know he's got these somali refugees that he adopted and they grew up alongside ace and chris and chris is a character created for the show uh ace's brother but um these are characters uh, i so, but the, but overall and though like i can a, buy like this a soldier yeah who has guilt he was a soldier and, and a whole thing you know. it feels and th- that whole soldier storyline just feels grafted on from another thing Hello, Bill Band here from the All 80s Movies Podcast to tell you about Factor Meals. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get your 50% off today. Thing, you know, yeah. this, I just, I can't help but shake that, well, I mean, it's not that I have to shake it. You could take all of these characters and it could not be Annie and it could not be Ace and it could not be Pop and the story would work. I know. There is no, this is my problem. There is no reason why Annie Wilkes should be in the story, why Ace Merrill should be in the story, why Jerusalem's Lot should be in the story. Because Jerusalem's Lot, if we're going to get to it, like uh, the Marston house is there, yep. but it doesn't appear that vampires were ever there. It appears that witches were there because that's what everyone says. Mm-hmm. They say that the history of this town is witches, yeah. which then Pop calls Satanists. And there's no mention of vampires. And then once we actually do see Ace become you know, reanimated. Yeah. Uh, he's not a, he's not a vampire, which could have been such an easy thing for them. to. Yeah. He's you know? something else. It's, like and, and he kills people by hitting him in the head with a hammer and then transforms them into something in a bathtub. Yeah. 
Like I Which, just, and that recalibration of things is, and, and maybe it's just because we're so embedded and invested in this. Yeah, now I think that about I, that too. I just can't do it. Yeah, it's, it's just it doesn't make sense to me for me, and and it, it's also really frustrating, especially because. I sound like a fucking broken record, but it goes back to the promise of the first season. Like, if you are going to be, you know, reverent to the source material, you why why fracture that? This you know, and it is so fractured. It's it's not like they change small things. They are just they had a story they wanted to tell, and they have they have molded and smooshed yeah Stephen King figures into those different molds. Yep. And that's what I have an issue with. The only thing that Mar- that says that this is Annie Wilkes is her performance mm-hmm. and the fact that well, she is a nurse. Well, it's that she's a, a nurse and then they could put it, be put in the hospital thing. But, but does it, she even need to be in a hospital? Well, yeah, exactly. Well, and that's yeah. what I was wondering. It's like, is the hospital narrative even that paramount to is, what's going on And the here? pill addiction and all this stuff, it's like there's all these things happening, but Annie's story here revolves around like this, this – uh, this, this feud that she's developed with Ace and then with her daughter, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's the fact that she murders Ace at the beginning of the first episode and then, you know, buries it, discovers the Marston house, doesn't know what's happening and then uh, starts losing it a little bit and then Joy ties her up, which Jesus Christ, like I the I'm, Joy narrative is, is it's arguably so the, bad. the weakest of the whole season. It's unnecessary. It's. To show another side of life, I guess, to Castle yeah, Rock. Yeah, and it's not even really doing that either. Right. We'll get there in a moment, like when we get more granular with the episode. But I guess, like, my overall point here when I say all this stuff is that this to me is one of the laziest, worst uses of IP that I've ever seen. Yeah. Because I understand we have to use IP now. And I understand that this is a show that is about, you know, Stephen King's world. Um, and I'm all about using the world. And asking questions like what happened to this character or what if we slightly changed because it's not like in every in every uh different universe within kings like many worlds you know like uh like in the dark tower books when there are these different universes it's not like they're wildly different no like if you think about in wizard and glass like when they stumble upon the world of the stand the things that are different is like different types of cola. Exactly. You know? yeah. Different uh, sports teams. Well, to borrow a word that you just said, granular. It's very granular. Yeah. You know? It's not but these here seismic it's like, changes it's where... It's literally... The book Misery does not matter. We are telling a different story. But we're using this character's mannerisms and name and a few details from her life. And so to me... And you know what's wild is like you guys probably think that we're really hating on this. It's like I don't... I, I don't hate the show. No, I don't like, hate I think this the show. show is fine. There's like, still something that really, you know, look, I said in the review, like it's still gorgeously shot. Yeah. It's still inc- impeccably, you know, scored and, you know, like this, the cinematography is just, just wonderful. Acting's good. The shot the selections part, are great. Tim Robbins um, is awesome. Tim Robbins is phenomenal in it, but it, it's just, to me, it just seems as if this really did, they did get strong armed into doing like a variety of different things because when you even just look at the overall narrative itself and you're trying to figure out like, what are they trying to accomplish this season? It's really murky and you really have to kind of pivot in one direction to really kind of see where it could be. And that wasn't the case last season. You know, the whole Shawshank thing was a really great spine to, you know, even just the thematic connections of that, with yeah. that, 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 with that thing, what, what it said about the past, what it said about our own demons, what it said about our own id. 
this season, it's like, okay, what are they trying to say? Like, is there a parallel between what's going on with Pop and what's going on with Annie? Like, it, it seems like there's there's just so much playing around with the past and, and also the present in, in, in clumsy ways yeah. that wasn't being done in the first season. And right. the first season wasn't really, you know, perfected either. But in this one, it's really fucking crazy. It's like as yeah. if someone took Doc Brown's time machine and just was like... Uh, you know, you had like six different people in the backseat of a DeLorean, even though there's no backseat. I understand that. <laughs> but their voice is going, no, let's go here. Let, 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 let's go here. Let's go there. I mean, in one episode alone, you get like multiple flashbacks to like maybe like, you know, a, a recent present and then all the way to 1994 and yes. then all the way back. It's just like, holy shit. That was, that was annoying. It's fucking crazy how pretzel this is. I know. And, and so, and like, and I guess thematically, like if you're, if you're thinking about it, it's like, I think about thematically there were there were questions that there were themes about family and about faith and about um you know small town life and things like that uh returning to a place you know these are all king themes and those were all in the first one the second season like i i think it's a noble effort and i think it's interesting but there's there's really like a huge immigration spine to this story which goes into the xenophobia of salem's lot which is they're using that source material cool but But at the same time like Salem's Lot wasn't really a story about immigration, no. was it? Like it was you more can about xenophobia that. for sure. Yeah, it was about xenophobia, but it's like and change. It's and... like King, like immigration isn't a theme that that is dominant in King's work, so it doesn't necessarily feel like a King story. You know what I mean? It's like, and so I guess that's what I'm saying too. Is like thematically, it even feels like I don't know why this story is being told in this world. Yeah, and so it's not that I don't like the story. It's just that. None of this feels like what the show was billed as and mm-hmm. promised as. No. Um, and so I guess my problem, like, overall is is I find this use of IP to be cynical, yep. uh, lazy, and f- frankly bizarre. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's, like, what I keep coming back to is is I don't – I mean, I, I just was saying when I was watching the screeners before it premiered, I was like, who is this for? Yeah. But – it's getting good reviews. It really is. People seem to like it, and I don't begrudge that. It's like, cool. I am just, I want to talk to people about, like, what is it you really like about it? Well, Sammy, actually, my girlfriend, we've been watching the screeners together. She put up a good point. was like, this feels more like American Horror Story than the yes, last season did. It really and does. And it really does. Yeah. And, and, and I think maybe that's why. I mean, it's very pulpy. Yep. It's pulpy to a point that is obscene. Uh-huh. I mean, like, the ending of the first episode with the way that she, you know, quote unquote, kills Ace Merrill with is the ice cream so scoop. Insane. Scene. And you know that's a nod a little bit to the to the uh, book because she makes them like an ice cream sundae, yeah, yeah. which it, is stupid. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. again, it's just like these these little sort of they're taking source bits of source material and what used to be kind of clever is now this just over the top and in your face. But that scene in particular just made me realize like, oh, they're really trying to just go for like the moment, yeah, that they can talk that that people might be able to talk about or to kind of you know scare on a more genre surface level and, and american horror story is not king that's not king no, horror you no. know that is like campy over the top gore horror like i i i do not like american horror story and and i guess like the thing is it, it's over singing with like carly simon in the beginning like that seems yeah. like something so out of like a ryan murphy show right and but in the same way that the whole problem with american horror story is it's wildly unfocused oh, those seasons beyond, yeah it's like you get whiplash watching those seasons <laughs> yeah. and 
and there's value in it. I know I I didn't hate the second season. I know some people who like other seasons, but well, that's a season that includes what aliens, Nazis, uh, yeah, zombies, you, ghosts, ger- uh, and like Germans. Um, and you could cut the entire yeah. alien subplot in in particular, and nothing would change in that season. But yeah. it's like for me, uh, that I'm I'm getting that vibe. But I got that vibe in the first season a little bit too. But I get it more so here, yeah. where there is too much going on. Mm-hmm. It's like and. That's what drives me crazy, but I think all, I think what angers me about this show is just like it's like someone said, you can tell whatever story you want, you just have to name characters after Stephen King characters and have them act in ways that are recognizable to viewers, i.e., Lizzie Kaplan's performance. Yeah, which you know some people seem to really like it. I don't hate it. I think that she's finding some different shades to it, but it is a fierce imitation. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's oh, not a fully totally realized is. character is an imitation. Mm-hmm. And so And that's why I, like if they're trying to strive to show some depth and she's the source of that, I'm not getting it. Right. And know? also like, you know, most people just just I feel like this is the it's the film version of Kathy Bates, who is the center, who is sort of the focal point, the touch point for this version of the character, because it's like, I I feel like they want us to, like, why make her your main character? Like, she's a serial killer, at least as we know her. But, like, she cuts off a guy's foot because she wants him to write a book for her, you know? It's like... But then you make her the main character, and it's clear to some degree that we're supposed to be rooting for her. And, and that's why I think, like, right? the, the, the rule, yeah, it, it is. And that, for all those reasons, I, that's why I think, like, going back, even look, looking back in the first season, that's why I really liked Henry Deaver. Yeah. You know, because it was a character that wasn't canon. You know, it was a new character that was allowed. like a king and he, character. Exactly. And, it, and you were allowed to kind of graph that because there were no expectations tied to him. Yeah. You could just kind of create something, you know, out of the pages. And then the corollary characters, the corollary environments could allow us to kind of embellish those king you know motifs and you can't do that here because we have expectations of this killer we know that she's a a serial killer we know that she you know she has some sort of past we know what her motivations are inevitably going to be even when she's just like you know at the end of the third episode when she realized that you know her daughter is you know where her daughter is going to end up like you know inevitably based on her past these aren't revelations because we already fucking know that and like so I almost wish there was some sort of like rule for the writers of the show to have been like, all right, we can't use like principal characters yeah. from the King universe to be the leads of this show. Right. Because it doesn't make sense. Like, but also that's what we're trying to do just like what you're saying, though. It's like you say we already know these things. And but what the, what I kind of hate that the show does is like, or do you? Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, and I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, it's so bizarre. Well, and that's, it's kind of like going with, with like the Bates Motel thing did. <laughs> Did you, I mean, well, I, no, I never watched Bates. Well, I, I didn't watch it, but I, I know all of the like the little like twists in that. And, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched all of Bates Motel or anything. But like, you know, it turns out like uh, Marion Crane, who is like the famous, yeah. you know, the famous person who dies in the shower. Like she doesn't die. No, she lives. And it's actually your sister. And it's like this play around uh-huh. with like the source material there. And I guess that worked because but you're they, sticking strictly to that psycho story. It wasn't like a town that you were going through. It was literally just like, you know, but also in that sense, it was a it was like they started with him when they were young and they were carving a new path for exactly, him. Exactly. Yeah. They didn't they're not teasing us like 
it's not like they they started with an older Norman Bates, like who could who was essentially the same age as Psycho, yeah. and they were trying to like tease us as to whether or not he killed Marion in the shower. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like did he or didn't he do it? Yeah, that's it's like whereas if you start with him younger and you're like, okay, he hasn't done this yet, I'm gonna tell a new story. Mm-hmm. You know, then that's a little bit different. If you give me Annie Wilkes when she's young and you focus on her story, but it takes place in the universe of misery, but you show me decisions <laughs> she made where it veers into something else, I'll buy that. Yeah. But you're literally sticking me in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. You're sticking me in the middle of it and you're asking me to like to like let go of everything I know from the book, but also hold on to it because exactly. we're gonna make a bunch yeah. of references to it. Yeah. See, I get mad about this because yeah. it feels reckless to me. And it like is I reckless. know I, I mean, people totally are probably reckless. laughing at how annoyed I am at this, but it's like and I wouldn't blame you, but it's like I just to me it's baffling story decisions. It's baffling to me. Well, it's it's baffling and it also makes me realize or think or theorize or assume, whatever you want to call it, that they have no idea what they're doing either. <laughs> you know, and that they're constantly just like, you know, pivoting around whatever they can, you know, based on whatever source material they can glean upon. But and, I don't want to believe that because we talked to them and they were cool. I agree. They seem no, smart. And, yeah. I, and, and I and I don't I don't really think that, but by not like by you know, pulling punches and, you know, pivoting around things. I, you know, I assume that they don't have really a control on their story. And like, that's, you know, and that's only because of the assumptions that I have based on whatever source material they're using. So I know it's like, it's almost like, the IPs coming back to haunt them. I know. But maybe I, just for us, because clearly everyone is like digging it so far. So, like, I, you know, I feel yeah. like, well, yeah, I mean, and the thing is we are so immersed in this, but at the same time, I guess I just laugh. Cause I think, I think like, I feel like this would be mo- least confusing for us. Maybe it because like we it, at I least mean, understand it, that the King universe can exist on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. I just feel like I would be so confused if I were a casual viewer and I'm just like, so wait, this, uh, like is this before or after the movie misery you know or the book yeah misery? i like, mean but think of it again it goes into like the pulpy angle like just think about just like the bare beats of this, this yeah, story you know yeah. you have a crazy psychotic nurse ooh, mystery drama there's a lot of like base level stuff to kind of hook in people that are just coming in as casual viewers yeah. but again then again like you know this is an age where we're just consumed and over consumed with with media or just inundated with media that why would someone want to just pull into something that at face value looks like something that that requires you know some sort of like knowledge or prior knowledge to it because like if i saw castle rock and i'm trying to assume that i'm not a stephen king reader, yeah if i saw that and i said oh stephen king's castle rock i would just assume that you would have to know like about stephen king's lore yeah and i know that people have had that sort of those hesitations going into this show because i've had to tell them like no you don't need to know stephen king to do it especially I, with this season especially with this well, especially with that season uh <laughs> And but but again, I think you could have had a really cool medium, and I think that the first season definitely hits on that a little bit more, where you can be the diehard Stephen King scholar and also be the casual viewer and still get a great story. With this season, I don't really know. I I think almost like you're better off being a casual viewer than a Stephen King. Scholar I know. I guess point. like the vibe I get is like is like I see. It's like people think it's. I don't know. How do I phrase this? I'm like stumbling, but. Stephen King fans that I know are like, this season rules. And I'm just like, and I'm sitting here going, like, is it, is it because like you understand that his works like apparently, you know, they, he, there's all these alternate dimensions within his work. And because you recognize that it's like, that's what makes it really good. Like you get that. So you're just like, oh yeah, I get it. It's like a different alternate universe with all these characters. And I'm just like, but 
for me, I'm like that completely negates what I would find interesting about this show. Mm-hmm. And I just, I do, I'm having so much trouble understanding what it is that people really like about it. Cause it's in my opinion too. I just, I guess let's talk about it in a, in a brand like storytelling wise. Mm-hmm. It's a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. It is all over the place. Yeah. I mean, I think we have pretty much talked about how, there are just t- like things going everywhere. I mean, and and it's really hard to kind of see where this is trying to go or where it wants to go. I mean, that was the first thing that we we texted having watched the screeners was just like, I, I you know, you were hesitant to actually t- to want to be critical. Yeah, I was like, like, I want to watch. I, I want to see where it goes. Yeah. First. Having seen five episodes, I still am, you know, yeah. kind of like, I don't know. I feel that way too. You and know. it's like, I guess the funny thing for me was like, I remember when I was watching episode well, like episode two, I think at the beginning when she came out of the Marston house, yeah. I think I was like, I was like, okay, maybe I can be into this. Like, yeah. I, you know, I, I think I was getting on its level a little bit and I was like, this could be kind of cool maybe because uh, I feel like they're toying with the Salem's Lot lore a little bit and things like that. Like I thought, but that was also when I didn't, I still didn't know a lot about the universe and I was like, I was like, uh, okay, so this is the Annie from the books, you know, mm-hmm. and and that is the Ace from the books, and they're gonna bring in the vampires to some degree, and and I maybe I can just enjoy it on a pulp level, yeah. you know, was kind of what I was hoping. But then I think it was during the third episode when Joy tied her up, and I was like, I remember watching. I was by myself in my apartment. I was texting you guys, going, "This is crazy." Yeah. Like, this show is crazy. And I think I said, I was like, how are there seven more episodes yeah. after this? Her daughter has tied her up to the bed. Yeah. And she's, it's, and then, and that whole sequence was more Gerald's game than Misery. It was. Because she yeah. breaks the yeah. glass and then, you know, yeah. everything. And, and she needs to try to escape and get out of it. And, and then stuff, she's yeah. like yeah. so grotesquely covered in blood. And I'm just kind of like, this is nuts. Mm-hmm. It just feels nuts. There's a to me. lot that happens in the first three episodes that make me wonder if they're ever going to pump the brakes. <laughs> Because honestly, well, they there did is in season two. They, they I mean, season, one, season I mean. one. They definitely do. But there's just so much going on that that it's 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 almost exhausting to kind of keep up with. Because I mean, I've rewatched these episodes multiple times. I have so, too. Like, and I'm still finding myself going like, oh yeah, I guess all right. So that was happening. Oh, interesting. Because they've just you know credit to Thomason and 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 Shaw, but like. They 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 got a lot of story they want to tell, but like fuck, just like parse it down a little bit and just like you know really kind of give it its weight and give yeah. it its sort of sort of girth there and like because like there's a lot of it that, that's so thin like yeah. the whole stuff with like Tim Robbins like his arc is so thin right now it's still. so thin you know it's very brittle and like the same with like the you know the Smallies like I feel like I don't know any of them no even though you're supposed to but because there's clearly like some you know scenes with the dog when they're t- when you know they're tying up one of his you know his adopted sons and it's like. God, there's like some like a lot of emotional gravitas that should be here in these earlier <laughs> in these scenes, but it's like the second or third episode. So like all these crazy things are happening. So I I have to wonder that they're getting to a larger story because if there's so much that they're rushing through in these first three episodes, I have to there has to be something bigger. That's well, happening, I you know? I'll say when I was watching screeners. When I saw that the fifth, this uh, eh, spoiler alert for the nature of the fifth episode, but yeah. it's not like it's not a huge spoiler. I like screamed when I saw it was a flashback episode. Yeah. I was like, no, we don't have time for this. We do not have time yeah. for this. Like, 
keep moving forward. Like you have to get, show me where you're going. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like so annoyed. And that's the last screener they sent us to. So it's like, I just want to burn through this. Cause I am mm-hmm. so curious yeah. to know where it's going, which is a good thing. It is, but that's it's a good like, thing. But, but it's, it's also not, I'm not enjoying. Yeah. It. <laughs> like I'm not sitting here going like, I can't wait what happens. Like I do with succession week to week, but right. you know, I it's, just it's, want to know what they're going to do. And it's mostly to ease frustrations. Yes. It's not for curiosity's because, sake. Like, if, if you know? maybe, if maybe it hits the end and they totally, win me over and they're like and I'm like oh it needed to be maybe it's an inverse of the first season maybe I don't know it's like I'm okay with that like Mm -hmm. I'll I'll be like okay if you win me over in the end I will eat my words you know I will say that I judged it too harshly too early but watching five episodes and I I, you know that's a lot and I feel this way the one thing I will commend about this show still is just the visual world building is just incredible it is and yeah it, it really does feel in line with what darabont tried to create with you know shawshank and the mist and all still i mean when she when annie walks out of the marston house and sees the town below i'm like yes that is exactly how it's supposed yeah. to look in salem's lot and yep. then or later on when she sees the house or they see the house up there because they're saying that you know they're heroin users and whatnot so we should go check it out the Marston house is at the top of the hill. And I was like, yes, this is exactly how I visualize it. Why can't we play in this world the right fucking way? Yeah. <laughs> like, why can't they bring the right toys to the sandbox and just fucking play in it in, in, in an accordingly way? Because there's so much history and so much like narrative that they could have used and leaned upon and built this story from that as opposed to just fumbling the old narrative. And, and now then, they're talking about witches? Yeah, like, come on. That's like, not King, no. dude. That's not King. No. Like, that is not... Like, I don't know. This is, this is, I'm just getting bitchy about it, but yeah, it's but like broadly, like, let's just, I mean, because I don't want to go too down the ra- the rabbit hole because I will lose my mind with like other little details <laughs> in here. But ultimately, I guess, you know, if we're, we're speaking conclusively, like, do you still think there's like, you know, opportunity for this medium? Uh, yeah, like it's an anthology. So tell a new story. Maybe, maybe I'll be more interested next time. But what, what is it going to be next time? I know. It's going yeah. to be, it's gonna be uh, Jack Johnny to- Smith comes back. Johnny Smith driving Christine with Cujo by his side. Didn't we make all these jokes? Like, we did. <laughs> well, we made that these jokes because they included like Jackie. Well, we included earlier on in the in the episode, but we've we included it in like last season when they you know threw in Jackie Torrance oh in there because God. that was kind of the more insufferable notions or insufferable like Jackie Torrance that. is this season. It is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's oh man it's so funny to me no i just they like, leaned into the the worst part of the, the first season it's just gonna be like oh no you made a joke in our text there about like carrie white like well oh, there's a new teacher in town new teacher. it's carrie it's white carrie white <laughs> and let's just say she's still angry with the students but um, the thing is that's probably what will happen yeah and people will love it and they'll love it i don't see it's like this is an i'm usually so positive and i try to be so positive and i try to be like maybe it could be good and like maybe maybe i know i know it's like you know i read the comments on ivy club occasionally not a lot because it's so depressing but it's like uh but it's just, it's the same it's people like like neckbeardy complaints about like like stuff from 10 years ago like yeah like uh who cares about paris hilton you know it's like yeah. that kind of thing yeah. like um where it's like no we get there we've been there it's like saying nickelback sucks it's like that exactly is, like, it's the oldest move on like yeah. like find new things to get mad about. People are just mad about the same shit. And it's the same thing, which is like, everything's a remake these days. And it's like, yeah, it is. But the thing is, it's been proven that we can have good remakes and we can use IP well. People, because it's such a necessity now, it's like in the old days, like when... uh, they would if you if you made a porno in the seventies, they would give you all the money in the world, and they would just say, or like these producers, they give you all this money, and they'd say there has to be twenty minutes of sex in your movie, 
Uh, or yeah, there has to be like 30 minutes of sex in your movie. But go do um, Go do whatever you want. So yeah. they could just build stories around porn. Yeah. And a lot of really interesting movies came out in the 70s. And that that was their IP was the porn. Yeah. And the yeah. IP was porn where it was like you have to include this stuff in there. But you can tell your own stories around yeah. it. And like Vinegar Syndrome, the, the, the distribution company, that's what they put out. They're like all these really weird, interesting uh, like exploitation movies. Like a lot of interesting stuff came out of that. And so I feel like we're in a, a more mainstream version of that now which is IP it's like people are finding ways to work with IP and tell interesting stories I would say even in Marvel well, like I'm not I'm not like a Marvel stan but I like Marvel and I do think they're finding ways to tell unique interesting stories in several of those movies well I would say the same criticisms that are levied against Stranger Things which I think does a great job Agreed. with old IP agree is being praised for this show. Yeah. Like, you know, with, with Stranger Things, people are always like, oh, this is just a regurgitation of blah, blah, blah. That like, makes but me it's so not, mad. Though. It's like total fucking you we know, are reintroduction. The, we are the stands of we Stranger are, Things we are, this though. pod. We absolutely <laughs> but are. But I, I do. I take such umbrage with people who act like that show is just a regurgitation of shit. Yeah. Um, it, like, that show to me it tells such, like, wonderful coming-of-age stories and also good horror and action stories. And also that, tight narratives. Yeah, and they always, they always know how to draw upon iconography to enhance their own story exactly and that's what's important to me mm-hmm. and that's like what i feel like i'm missing in this show i agree yeah i agree and so uh i don't know i guess like i guess let's maybe we've talked about i guess maybe let's talk about a few other things that we do like you yeah. know yeah. so we're not total negative nancy so you've mentioned the cinematography i agree like the look of the town is great the marston house uh i was when i was doing some research for my easter eggs post um you know i found that old quote it from Salem's Lot where they say the Marston house sits over the town like a like a ruined king. And that's and what that, it looks like. Yeah, and that's like exactly how it yeah. looks in the show and I love that. Yeah. Um, but I guess like I also love Tim Robbins' performance. Mm-hmm. He actually has a scene in the fourth episode that I think is wonderful. Um, it's the best acting on the show so far is uh, in that scene. I think Paul Sparks is good casting for Ace but as you see in... Uh, in this isn't a spoiler because you've seen the first three episodes. They kill him at the end of the first episode, yeah. and then he's just a zombie. He's and just he Pascal, do, and he yeah, he's Pascal, and he doesn't get to be Ace. Like that's what oh yeah. man, I'm like getting mad here because it's, well, it's like, like you the have a great character, like and you, then you kill him. You could have had the Merrills be the main character because honestly, like again, they were corollary characters for the most part in King's Bork. So if you bring them as the main characters, fine. That's that 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 I'm okay with that. Or even if they were going to be, you know supporting characters in this that would be still more interesting than where they're being used now because yeah you like you're saying like they totally waste the essence of those characters yes. like you just turn ace into yeah. a zombie but it's just like and he has he's although it's just like so weird because he's not a vampire but he's not a pet cemetery's kind he's of zombie not. because he's, he's still normal he's His like teeth a, are yeah, back to normal yeah everything. he's still like a human mm-hmm. so it reminds me more of i was writing in in my easter eggs post it's like it strikes me more as like um uh desperation like before mm. they start like yeah. falling apart and tommy knockers where mm-hmm. it's like they're possessed but they're still them and yeah. they still retain like memories of their life so but it's i think what they're more so going for is like pet cemetery uh where they still retain memories but they're wrong yeah but the the visual aspect is all off in that regard yeah. like like they're just they brought ace back as some sort of like weird boilerplate zombie where it's like it it, it it's like almost something from all these different king works but it's not any of them yeah. you know yeah. and like that might be i don't know i feel like that might be a good description for this whole season i i, I think that's a perfect <laughs> description i i guess like looking in the positives though like i mean like the world building for me visually is still really the only saving grace i would say right now because i'm not that intrigued with what's actually happening like i don't really care about 
I mean, like the Meryl storyline could have been interesting, but as it is, it's not like, you know, it just seems to me that like they've already pretzeled that story to the point where, I I don't know, I guess I'm waiting to see where they can take it to the next step on that. But even then, it's not enough because there's no main protagonist for me to fucking latch on to. Well, it's like, wasn't the the fights was kind of between Ace and and Abdi. Yeah. And and then Ace is dead. So (laughs) it's like, okay. Uh, and then now Ace is concerned with building an army of zombies. So, um, what's up with the Somali storyline? Yeah. And so then the Somali storyline is pivoted to Tim Robbins' relationship to his kids, mm-hmm. which is cool, but it feels disconnected from yeah. everything else, you know? Mm-hmm. And I like, um, I forget her name, uh, the woman who plays, is the doctor's name Nadia? Yes, it's yeah. uh, it's it's Nadia Omar. So yeah. it's Yursra Warsama. And she's great. She's great. I've she's seen great. her in other stuff, yeah. and she's an excellent actress. And I, it's like, she's not bad, but... We get this like relationship with her and Annie, but what does it mean? Don't, don't these first three episodes feel like the last three? <laughs> In a weird way. Well, just like, like when, just when the Joy stuff tied, that's actually happening. When here. Joy tied her up, I, yeah. I was like, how that seems like, like a penultimate episode. How to me. are there seven more episodes? Of this? What are they fucking going to do in episode? <laughs> there's ten episodes this season or something like that. Yes. What are they going to do in episode nine and ten now? I mean, are they literally just going to have like the fucking town burning down like Salem's Lot? I think I they mean, are. <laughs> well, because like think about everything like went apocalyptic at the end of last season, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's probably what they're going to build towards because Ace is building like this army of zombies. So it's like because he in the third episode he gets the real estate agent and the cop yeah. and then um and Abdi's like security guy. Buddy. I hope the kid comes back because uh, you know he's still there. He's still there. So, yeah. So it's like Skarsgård back. <laughs> I actually. What if they did? Would they just go all in? They just you know throw him back out Dude. there. He's like, I actually was causing this again. Well, put him back in the cage. I mean, I, I just want our jokes to come true. I want Cooge. I want Christine. I want Jack Torrance. Just <laughs> just throw in all the names of Stephen King on a wall, and then take a dart, and then you know, and let him probably walk. Let him get stroll close. in and give him some. Give him a kid. <laughs> you know, I, hey, Joe Camber's probably alive now, so just go bring him back. Also, it's like, oh, you want to come up to my? Uh, I can fix your car. Oh, you're trying to get out of Castle one. Rock? He's got like Cujo. Uh, He's like, Cujo oh, meet my, meet my buddy Cujo. Yeah. <laughs> Even in the first season, they mentioned Cujo already. Yes, so, yes. you know, why why not? <laughs> I hope that I hope the last episode takes place at a prom, and you know, when we get another character, you know, I, I feel like a lot of CW. I don't know. I'll just say this: I feel like a lot of maybe people who really like this season who are listening to this are probably just like, why can't you just enjoy it? You know, and I and the thing is, why can't we just enjoy? I it? I know we could, but at the same time, it's like we can't because we're we are a podcast about Stephen King and we dig into these things and we think about these things and we're both critics too. Yeah. So it's like, we do think about these things this way, but also I also just don't in a, on a purely entertainment level, I don't find it that gripping of television. I don't, either. you know, no. I don't dislike it. I don't no. think it's, I don't think like storytelling wise, it's actively bad, <laughs> but that is, uh, I have a, a, when I when I work in a job where everything I watch is work and I have yes. to watch stuff all the time, it's like I would rather uh, not be watching this, mm-hmm. uh, but I have to because I'm writing Easter eggs posts. So well, so read my Easter eggs posts <laughs> on the AV Club. <laughs> Go for it, please, please do. Because honestly, if you're gonna catch if if you're gonna read anyone that has like the more Easter eggs, it's probably gonna. Be, I will you know, say I read some other Easter eggs posts. I have more in mind. I I agree. I yeah. think that I, based on some of the ones that you've already shared with me, I've seen other ones, and I'm like, oh, you missed a few. And I and I also. And leaving my opinions out of those posts, so which is good. I it's guess very for, po- they're for, very positive. Not to piss off the the big Castle Rock uh, heads. So what would they call them? I guess a Castle Castle heads uh, or um, uh, rockers. Rockers. The Castle Rockers. 
I, I guess for me, the, 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 to explain why I am so you know, vehemently opposed and angry about this show is there's nothing worse than uh, you know, a missed great opportunity yeah. or a fumbled great opportunity. Yeah. And that's what I feel like this season has done because for all the, the quote-unquote sins or negatives of that first season, I still enjoyed and liked and appreciated everything that they tried and you know they did and it was accomplished. An, it was an admirable effort. Yes, and yeah. it showed that there was still so much opportunity. Now with this, I still think there's a lot of opportunity to go forward in the next seasons because they can, you know... They can do some, you know, they can still do some interesting stuff there. But what they've already done with this show by taking, you know, top five, top ten most notable characters in Stephen yeah. King lore and then reintroducing them this way, it already is just kind of fractured what I really initially thought when I saw that first teaser back in 2017. Yeah. So, we were so excited about Oh, yeah. Castle I remember we were all at the, the bar and Justin ran in. He was just like... They did it, guys. They did it. Yeah. This is the, the idea that I've had forever. And I and I, I can't even imagine what Justin's thoughts are on this. Like I, I know, I, I think I, I, I joked just, with him. I, I sent him a text, I'm like, you are gonna hate oh, this. Yeah. <laughs> because it just goes against everything that that was. Because like the way I saw Castle Rock was it was a sequel. It was a sequel series. Yeah. And that's yeah. not what this is. And and it was a sequel series about like about the world as yeah. much as the uh, characters. Like mm-hmm. that's why I, I guess I, I know we probably said some degree to this before, but it's like, I love the concept of like Alan Pangborn wasn't the main character. Mm-mm. He was a supporting character in there. the story of another story, but he all, but we also got a little bit of closure on his story. Yeah. I didn't love the way his closure happened, yeah. but at the same time, like, I liked seeing him in that capacity. Yeah. And so, um, and I guess like maybe I'm getting that a little bit with Pop Merrill, but because I do think that out of all the th- out of the three characters, they're handling him the best, I guess. Yeah. Although I do feel like they've defanged him a lot. Like, cause he's, he's like a rattlesnake and, and Sundog, you know, he's, he's bad. Yeah. Like when he's, and he's, but, and he's, but he's good re- here, I mean, but he's, he's, he's bringing the kids and nans. Interesting. Yeah. Nans luncheonette. Um, that was a reference to a uh, uh, Castle Rock fixture. Also, that, that... question: Are Salem's Lot and Castle Rock? Because I, I, I really, I was so technically they're not supposed to be that close to each other. Yes, that's what I was saying. Because I yesterday when I was doing my Easter eggs post, I think like by the time I realized that, because I noticed in the map in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, I was screenshotting stuff, and uh, they wrote in Jerusalem's Lot on the map. Uh, like right next to Castle Rock and I just kind of said and like no. I, I remember that they weren't that close no. but I didn't like investigate it like really hardcore so I'm they, Derry I think Derry is the closest to Castle Rock it basically seems like they're the same town yeah they treat it that they way they do it's like or like they're a couple miles away oh I gotta go to my shift yeah yeah <laughs> seriously and so I like and it didn't even seem that way with like Mike Hanlon or not Mike uh, with, with the, the kid who played Mike Hanlon um, oh um, Henry Deaver's son yeah yeah he, he, he when he gets off the bus it seems like he's still far away yeah, like he's still far he's still at Jerusalem's lot which at that point was in the you know pitch darkness and you assumed that it was an abandoned town um, but anyway I, guess, I, I, I think I, the I, biggest <laughs> thing too I know but it's like you just think about how they're ignoring the entirety of Salem's lot I know they really are it's just there in name like it's just there in name, and like there's no well, Marston well it's House, like the way that Marston they House, zoom in on the Marston House assumes the that you have read Salem's Lot yeah. and that you're going to know what Marston is. Yeah. So then, why aren't we thinking about vampires? I why, know. why are why are they talking about witches when we know in the world of the Marston House and of Salem's? Or maybe Lot, they're misinformed, and then they're going to see that they go. <laughs> we thought it was witches all along. It's vampires. Oh, you know, one like, thing. God. One thing I added in my in my 
Easter egg post that I was like rather proud of because it, it did actually feel very pointed. And in this case, I thought it was kind of neat. And maybe if they do a flashback to the witches, like, holy shit. Uh, Tim Robbins has a line where he calls them Satanists. And he yeah. goes, he goes, they were like bad people who made deal with a bad ombre. And I was like, Randall Flagg! That would be amazing. Yeah. Because like, then I was like, it, I, the thing Maybe is, they could bring Alexander Skarsgård as uh, I'm telling you, I would not be, not Skarsgård. I, I doubt they would get Skarsgård, but although it would be interesting. Although if they go back to the 1600s, which it seems like that's what they're hinting at, you know, uh, because they keep mentioning this witch past or maybe yeah. that's next season, you know, who knows? Yeah. Because, I mean, well, they, they did a lot of teasing since the past in like the last season and I thought that we were going to you know they yeah. were going to jump around but yeah. I don't even know if they have the budget to do that because I feel like they could have done yeah. the you know the time jump in this one yeah and it I probably would have been better because I guess like I thought it would have I remember saying back when we first started talking about the show I'm like yeah it might be interesting if they went back like 400 years do the know? Fargo thing yeah yeah do that like just or not even like much like get back into the old days like yeah. what was the initial evil that made Castle Rock whatever I'm like I'm, I'd be up for that story yeah and that seems to be what they're saying with witches and everything so but when when Tim Rott when Pop said the whole thing about a bad ombre the way he phrased that yeah just, I was like that sounds like Randall Flagg to me and so I do think I mentioned that in my piece it would be kind of neat well I I'm not saying it would be neat if we saw it on the show because it would just be I'm like so annoyed with this show. But uh, the, the concept that Randall Flagg was like 400 years ago yeah. making deals with Satanists, you know, that's that's fun to me. It I is. love yeah. that kind of yeah. idea. Well, that, and that's well, because of you stuff think of Eyes of the Dragon, you know, yeah. oh, of course, the yeah. fact that he he spanned all these years and eras and everything that that's a character that's an established precedent. And I'm into that. Yeah. Idea, and like you know? in those type of references, I'm all game for. Yeah. It. So yeah. do that. But look. I think we've exhausted ourselves. I'm thinking I'm ready to leave Castle Rock yeah, for now. Man. I mean, maybe if we like and see what we, you know, by the end of it, we could do like a I think it could be healthy to something. do a postmortem after yeah. it's over, especially because we have such strong opinions right yeah. now. Yeah. And, and honestly, like, and I hope that this is, this wasn't too negative for you guys. Uh, <laughs> We're not, we're not, we're not haters. I swear. Um, we're not, I mean, I'm still going to be watching every episode. Yeah, we have, you know. well, I have to, but yeah. I, w- I would anyways. And so, yeah. So, Stay tuned, though, because I, I think the next couple of weeks, hopefully, we'll have nicer things to say. We're excited about Dr. Sleep. We might yeah. hate it, too. <laughs> oh, God. That would, be, that would be a bummer. But with Mike Flanagan's track record, I'm not planning on hating it, or I don't think I'm going to hate it. I'm but hoping we'll see. for a win. I'm hoping for a win. We need one, man. Yeah. We yeah. need one. And uh, yeah, Less than a week. Yeah. It's That's wild. crazy. I'm it's excited. Wild. I'm very excited. Yeah, I am, too. Uh, so, well, that's our castle. Rocks. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you liked it. Um, oh, and Lord, please, please us. yell at us online. Uh, I mean, we we, lo- we love hearing from you guys because you know none of you guys are mean. Like, no, not really. I'm so used to people be just being mean to me online. I, I like our listeners because even when you disagree with us, you do it. In, you do it in a cool way, and you send us really cool things. I mean, like Adam Dietz, he sent us all these cool photos from yeah, his I trip to Bangor, Maine, yeah. and that was so fucking cool. And like, I'm always seeing like someone sent us like the uh, Stephen King birthday cake on yep. Twitter. I thought that was just so awesome. So I I love. Whenever we get, you know, feedback back from you guys. And yeah. You, Tell you, us why awesome. you love Castle Rock and why we're wrong. We yeah. will welcome that with open arms. Absolutely. Um, until next week. Long, long days, days and, and pleasant, pleasant nights. nights. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want some.
Consequence Podcast Network.